Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation highlights from The Meeting House on Faith Radio about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. First, you'll be hearing material from a conversation with Shelley Genovese Calhoun, whose first husband died on September 11th in the North Tower of the World Trade Center. When we spoke, she shared about God's faithfulness during that difficult time and how he enabled her to find love again. Then it's back to Faith Radio Meeting House Media Central at the 2021 National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Dallas as Kevin Sorbo and his wife Sam Sorbo discussed a variety of cultural issues from a biblical perspective. Sam shared insight into how the meaning of words have changed to further an agenda that is anti-biblical. Kevin talked about how their movies are having the impact of presenting the truth of Scripture to our culture. And coming up on this edition of The Intersection, Trudy Kathy White is the daughter of Chick-fil-A founder Truett Kathy and his wife Jeanette. When she spoke with me, she related stories of faith and life lessons and underscored the importance of family. Some of her comments are coming up. Finally, it's back to Faith Radio Meeting House Media Central at the Fall 2021 Christian Product Expo in St. Louis with comments from Michelle Niedert. She is a professional counselor who shines the light of God's truth into areas regarding mental health. She desires to affirm young people in the love of God, and you'll be hearing from her ahead. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House, and I'm Bob Crittenden. Shelley Genovese Calhoun lost her first husband in the tragedy of 9-11. It was devastating for her to be left as a single mom with a very young child, but God was faithful as she navigated life without her husband. She has written a book called Twice Blessed, A Journey of Hope Through 9-11, and recounts not only the loss of 20 years ago, but how she was able to find God's strength as well as a new husband. Here now from a recent Meeting House conversation is Shelley Genovese Calhoun. Tell me about your response once it became certain that he had perished in the tower. Right. It was um, September 17th, and um, it was the evening of, and so we went out to— I had heard that there was an article that was written in a newspaper about um, Steve and our township, and so we went out, my mother and um, her best friend, Big Mama, and we all drove to the newspaper stand, and as I approached the newspaper stand, I could see, you know, a big picture of Steve, um, you know, on the front page, and it said, husband, father, friend, not coming home. And at that point, um, you know, of course, every emotion that I had just, you know, held back for the past week just, um, you know, rushed over me, <laughs> and... Um, you know, of course, it just paralyzes you with fear. It just every hope and every dream that, you know, I'd ever had was just shattered at that point. And I, you know, sat in the car and, and cried and cried so long that I just almost completely ran out of tears and mm-hmm. um, with my mother and, you know, my godmother. But but also at that point, I felt the presence of the Lord. You know, I just felt his promises. I was so worried about my daughter, you know, you know, not having a father, and, you know, God just told me that he was going to be the father to the fatherless, and he told me that, you know, the plans that he had for me, you know, were good and not for evil, and that he had a hope and a future for me, and, you know, I was just reminded that he was close to the brokenhearted, and just so many promises that, you know, honestly, that just, I didn't even know that I knew, but I guess they were just kind of hidden in my heart from growing up in the Lord, and they were just, all came back to me, and I just stood you know, firm on his promises and knew that if I didn't cling to, you know, the hope that I had in him, that there was nothing else that I could cling to. Well, let's talk about life after Steve 
died, went home to be with the Lord, you were, and fortunately, as you had mentioned earlier, your, your mom, your godmother were there with you. You also had a very young child, and here you were without a husband. You became a single mom during that time. What was the most difficult thing about entering into that new season and having a very young child and, and basically raising that child without a father? Right. Um, I mean, I think it was just a very, you know, scary part of my life, not knowing how to do it. You know, I'd never really even been a single woman in the world. I, you know, was very, very young when I got married and I, my parents had taken care of me and then basically got married and my husband started taking care of me. So I, I really didn't even know how to do the normal things that, you know, you learn in, as, a, as being a young woman in the world. Um, so I was having to learn not only how to do that, but also to be, you know, a mother and to take care of, you know, everything on my own. Although I did have my mother and, you know, my father and just this support system that was unbelievable that just helped me get through everything um, was just such a blessing in my life. Well, in the book, as I understand it, again, the book is called Twice Blessed, and you talk about the reluctance to perhaps open up to to seeking another another husband, even dating again. Take us through that overall process and what God taught you. Right. Oh, he taught me so much. <laughs> I'm still learning so much. Um, you know, I just, I believed, you know, when I first started dating, you know, again, um, you know, I felt like I was... Um, somehow, you know, betraying Steve by, you know, dating someone else or even, you know, having any sort of feelings for anyone if I had um, dated them. And immediately I would usually, if I started to have feelings for someone, I would basically just tell them that I couldn't, you know, see them anymore just because I was so afraid of what everyone else would think, I believe, mostly. I believe that, um, you know, I was afraid that they would think that I hadn't loved, you know, Steve if I could, um, you know, be dating, you know, after 9-11, and I just, I think that just so many lies that were just in my head um, that I really just had to try to get out of my head and just believe truth that, you know, that I, I was going to be happy again and that, you know, that God had that hope and that future for me. And, you know, I wanted my, um, I wanted my daughter to grow up in a normal um, family with, you know, a, a a father that was father-like to her, and I wanted, um, you know, I wanted that love back in my life. I had had such a strong, strong love um, that I wanted that love back in my life. You know, I also just never believed that God would be able to give me a big enough heart that I could actually love someone else the same way that I loved Steve. And, you know, it was incredible that he did. You know, I didn't ever have to stop loving Steve to be in love, you know, with my um, new husband. God had just given me a big enough heart to be able to love them both. Shelly Genovese Calhoun here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to the website twiceblessed911.com. Next up on this edition of The Intersection from Faith Radio Meeting House Media Central at the 2021 National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Dallas, Sam Sorbo, author of the book Words for Warriors, and her husband Kevin, who has been involved in a film called One Nation Under God, discuss their respective projects. Here now is some material from a recent conversation at NRB 2021. Sam and Kevin Sorbo now. The Oxford Dictionary just redefined bigot because bigot used to be uh, very pointedly 
bigoted behavior. Now the definition of bigot is, well, if you prefer chicken to fish, you're a bigot. And that allows them to call literally anybody a bigot. And we know that it's a slander and a slur, but there's sort of nothing we can do about it because bigot is now, they've expanded the definition. And I'll give you one more, meek. Meek is a biblical term. Meek today means weak, but that's not what it means. And in the Bible, it says uh, the, the meek shall inherit the earth. But it also says that Moses considered himself a meek man. Jesus considered himself meek. Meek means power under control. And meek is something that we ought to have, meekness. We ought to embrace that for what it really is and understand that the meek shall inherit the earth because it is power under control. And those people who understand their power and, and remain under control they will be able to prevail because, honestly, the truth will always win. The truth will always win. Well, so as we look at how words are being used, again, Sam, as you brought out, we look at the creation of the word of the world. God spoke and things came into existence. Creation happened. We can look throughout the scriptures and we can recognize the powers the power of words. Words have meaning. Words have implication. And if you get a grasp of how powerful words are, then you can look at the possibility of how changing the meaning can have an influence, which unfortunately has sinister consequences to people of faith in our nation. Oh, there's no, no question. I'm going to go back earlier to what Sam was talking about, what's going on in our education system, because there's a brainwashing that's been going on for generations now. And it's really accelerated itself over the last 20 years. Um, I don't see anybody. I mean, they, they, they look at this country and say they hate this country. I don't see anybody taking boats from Key West to Cuba. You know what I mean? I don't see anybody rushing the Mexican border and say, I can't wait to get to Mexico or go to South, you know, North Korea for the waters. I mean, people, this country is an amazing place to live in, and we are destroying it for whatever stupid reasons going on. But number one, it's our government. Number two, it's certainly our education system, the brainwashing that's going on with all these generation of kids. And it's crazy time right now. And we're just trying to do, not only with Sam's book, but also with the movies that we do, we're trying to do movies that put out a positive message. Uh, Andrew Breitbart said it, politics is downstream from culture. Who runs a culture? Hollywood does, and certainly the mainstream media. We're fighting that with the movies that we do that have love, hope, redemption, faith, laughter, all these things that are missing in so many movies coming on cable, coming on you know, Hollywood, whatever it may be coming on. We're going to keep fighting that battle because it's just we can't let this country lose what it's lost already. And Ronald Reagan said it, right? He said we're a generation away from losing our freedom. Well, we're, at the, we're on the tipping point of that right now. And as Sam points out, the the language, the way that people are fed information, it influences people. And even believers in Christ are buying into that and and really are afraid to to speak out in the way that you're talking about because they, they don't want to be labeled as being a, a bigot or, or if someone embraces God's view of sexuality, they don't want to be called a homophobe. Well, that's, once again, the power of the media, right? I mean, Walt Disney said back in the 50s, movies and television will influence the youth. Well, look what's being played out on our streets right now. You can't tell me that that what we're showing and what we're telling kids isn't playing right now. Because if those mostly under 30 men and women and teenagers and young kids out there rioting, if they had any biblical principles in their lives, would they be doing what they're doing? I don't think they'd be out there doing it. But this is what we're faced with right now. And we're going to keep on battling this uh, great battle because we have to. This is an amazing country. 
Um, okay, she wants to tell about the movies. We got we got three movies coming out this summer. One's in theaters right now. It's called The Girl Who Believes in Miracles. Wonderful little movie with Mira Sorvino and Peter Coyote. We have one opening on the Fourth of July week, and it's called One Nation Under God, which is a perfect time to have it. It's about uh, it's about putting that phrase back into our Pledge of Allegiance. And Sam and I have a wonderful movie we produced. I directed. We both starred it with uh, John Ratzenberger and Lou Gossett Jr. It's called Miracle in East Texas. True story set in 1930, right in the heart of the Depression. Kevin and Sam Sorbo here on this. Edition of the intersection. You can find out more at samsorbo, S O R B O dot com or kevinsorbo.net. This is the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of the Meeting House, and you can find out more by going to meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on the Intersection. There are links to the podcast, to the Media Center, as well as to its own Apple Podcasts feed. Plus, there are two blogs accessible. One is The Three, with three stories of relevance to the Christian community, and the other is The Front Room, with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter at Access The Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, there's a link to video content. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Conversations from the Meeting House can also be found through the Faith Radio app and a variety of podcast platforms. Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Continuing now with this edition of the Intersection Podcast, it's Trudy Kathy White. She is the daughter of the late Truett and Jeanette Kathy. She discussed aspects of her family and lessons about the Christian life that she has learned. She is a host of the bi-weekly podcast Along the Way. She is also the author of the book, A Quiet Strength, The Life and Legacy of Jeanette M. Cathy. Here now from a recent conversation is Trudy Cathy White. One of the things that has been critical to me is to be intentional in how I live my life. So I've tried to be very intentional with the opportunity of influence. And when COVID hit and we realized we weren't out and about very often, I thought that, you know, perhaps... Uh, an additional way for me to be able to be influential with others is to launch the podcast. And it is called Along the Way. It is merely life stories of things that God has taught me about himself and even about myself uh, along the way. God's provision, God's protection, uh, the list goes on and on. But they're simply stories of my life. I think we all learn from each other. My dad often told me when I was young, he said, uh, learn from other people's mistakes. You don't have to repeat uh, their mistakes that they make once you know about them. So I share a lot of my own stories, a lot of my own mistakes that I've made in in hopes and with a prayer that it would be helpful uh, to others and it would influence them in a positive way. Well, take us back through maybe some of the life stories that you've had the opportunity to share in this podcast along the way. Yeah, well, one of the stories that I share about is uh, a, a walk down the beach with my dad when I was 13 years old. And my dad asked me, who did I think I'd want to marry? What kind of guy would I want to marry? I had no idea when I was 13 years old about that. But my dad challenged me to begin to think about what would be the characteristic of a man that I think that I would want to spend the rest of my life with. So I got a piece of paper and I put it in my Bible and I began to write down just characteristics of things I thought, you know, I would, I'd like a guy that was good looking. I'd, I'd like a guy that was taller than I am. And then things like I wanted him to be uh, a person who walked with the Lord because my relationship with the Lord was important to me. I wanted his parents to be 
uh, godly people because they would be future grandparents of my own children. So that list just went on and on. And years later, after getting to college and keeping that list in my Bible, I had the opportunity to be a Chick-fil-A operator when I was 19 years old. And one day, a gentleman walked in the store to apply for a job, and I looked at this fellow, and I thought, hmm, I need to hire him, not because I knew anything about him, but because he was good looking. <laughs> I thought, that's one of the things on my list. <laughs> so I, I hired this fellow, and uh, we began to walk, work together, and over a month of a period of time of working together, I really felt myself fell, falling in love with him. It happened to be the man that God put together for me for us to marry, John, and I've been married for 44 years now. Uh, so it's interesting to meet my lifelong mate uh, through Chick-fil-A. But while I was the Chick-fil-A operator, I realized when I was falling in love with him that he was meeting girls over uh, in college and having the opportunity to go out with him. But I was his boss making out his schedule. So I decided he didn't have to be on free on Friday nights to go out with anybody. And I was able to be very strategic in, 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 that, um, in that journey with meeting him. So stories like that, that I see how um, even from a very young age, my dad encouraging me to, uh, to take, take seriously to heart who I think I would like to marry uh, one day. I'm, I'm just so grateful. My dad used to say there are three M's uh, that are the most important decisions that young people will make. Uh, one, you get to choose who your master will be. Your parents won't make that decision for you. The second, you get to choose what your mission in life will be. And the third is you get to choose who your mate will be. So sharing stories like that on my podcast uh, hopefully will be insightful for um, for the younger generation and even possibly for parents who are raising children now. You mentioned those three M's. Well, they've all basically for you and John have come together because you choose, of course, who your master will be, your mission and your mate. Well, all of those have come together in your marriage. So tell me just a little bit about the adventures that you and John have undertaken throughout the years. Yeah, it has been quite an adventure, but it has been an adventure that's really been focused on how we can be intentional in investing in the next generation. The Lord did take us to Brazil. Uh, we went with two small children, and then we had two more children born while we were living in Rio de Janeiro. Uh, our family is all fluent in Portuguese, and we continue to uh, maintain a ministry uh, there in Brazil, investing uh, really in the next generation of young people between the ages of 18 and 22. But this idea of being able to invest in the next generation has been a real real focus for us. You know, many people realize that uh, there are three things that we're all looking for. We're looking for identity, like who am I? We're looking for where do we belong? Uh, do we fit in? And we're looking for why am I here? Uh, what's, what's my purpose in life? Trudy Kathy White here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to her website, Trudy, T-R-U-D-Y, Kathy, C-A-T-H-Y, White. Dot com. Finally, on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, it's back to Faith Radio Meeting House Media Central at the Fall 2021 Christian Product Expo near St. Louis. Licensed professional counselor Michelle Niedert, the co-author of the book Loved and Cherished, 100 Devotions for Girls, shared about some of the mental health challenges facing young people, including gender confusion and other issues, addressing them from a biblical perspective. She is a host of the Raising Mentally Healthy Kids podcast. Here now from that conversation is Michelle Niedert. Kids, as they develop, 
the first thing they need to do is attach and be safe. That's what we do with babies, right? Mm -hmm. And then they need to learn to experience and grow. And then when they hit these years we're talking about here, they are answering a very significant question. I believe we need to add a couple questions to it. I love the sticky faith guys work in this area, but one of them is who am I? And what we, we send at our center as a very clear message is we are works in progress always as believers, but children especially are learning who they are becoming and nobody needs to make major decisions on a brain with a brain that is not fully developed. And the research says, I work a lot with Daniel Amen and we look at brain scans and everything else. Brains aren't fully developed. It used to be 25, 24, 25. I think the screens are putting so much of the blood flow in the amygdala. The frontal lobe's the last part to go. It's the most important. It handles decisions, emotions, all the things we're talking about in these, these cases. Now being developed fully at 28, 29 is what oh the new scans goodness. are showing. So it's being wow. delayed in the culture. Yeah. So what we don't want to see happen and how we approach this in a family scenario, because you know, even as a biblical counselor, if we just say, you know, this is a sin, you need to not do this. <laughs> you're not going to get anywhere with a kid who is in the middle of believing, who has bought the lie that they're miserable and this will fix them. And their faith perspective is not developed. Fully, fully. but you know, some of them truly have a belief in God. They differ in this area with their parents. And so we spend a lot of time talking about the fact that this this is a decision that isn't made in this time period. It scares me that the courts, and I'm very fortunate, I work with the courts and I have not seen this yet in my county. I'm a forensic expert in the situation you described, high conflict divorce. So we have two parents who have their own agenda, really and truly, instead of working on developing their child, they're fighting for attachment and control, right? Sure. Very, very dysfunctional scenario there. And so one way to gain control, let's give you what you want, even if it's not where you need to be yet. And that is my concern. There's even secular research on this for the girls, especially. You see, as I've been a mental health professional now for over 25 years, I've watched girls struggle with, in the 80s, it was eating disorders. In the 90s, it was self-harm. Then we had all the sexuality confusion, pan, hetero, I mean, you name it, they did yeah, it. And, yeah. and the, and Which the is parents, not passed. And, and it's not passed. None of these have passed. Yeah. We still see. We just and add actually, to the mix. COVID is bringing eating disorders back in large. I'm kind of scared I'm going to be back talking about that as an eating disorder specialist more and more. But what I see happening here is... There have always been lost girls, especially. Girls are very emotional during adolescence, and they are looking for something to cling to. And parents, if you don't help them see, that's why we wrote Loved and Cherished, that God is the one to cling to, that God loves them, and that even when the world doesn't, they're going to be okay, then they are going to look when they are miserable to the world for solutions. And unfortunately, right now, the culture is offering devastating lies that can create permanent destruction before they're even fully developed. Mm, mm. And so, and, and that's why you have data research that has been issued that says that y- you may try to force a child into a gender transition, but generally when they reach, I think it's when they reach puberty or ad- adolescence, they outgrow. They outgrow many of these things, just like ADHD is very prevalent in small children. We don't see as much of that in the brain in adolescence. But let me tell you what else concerns me about this the most. The lie doesn't work. The research that we 
even the secular arm of my profession, says that the suicide rate is as high, if not higher, on those who do this, that they do not get less miserable, that they do not have better lives after this happens. There are, a few, there's, there are anecdotal exceptions to that rule, just like everything else, absolute, absolutely. They're saying the reason why is the rejection in the culture, but the culture is no longer rejecting it. So then Ooh, it just means good. that that doesn't work. And here's the thing, when you try to fix your soul, your misery, your fear, your sadness, your anger with anything but the love of God. And that's why to me, loved and cherished. Everybody's like, what is a mental health, to, health professional doing right a devotional? That's what kids read. They don't read nonfiction. If that is the, that is the, God only can fill that hole. We've heard this for years, that depth of that need. Michelle Niedert here on The Intersection. You can find her online at Michelle Niedert. That's N-I-E-T-E-R-T dot com. The book website is lovedandcherished.me. Well, you are listening to The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can learn more at meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. Through The Meeting House homepage, you'll find a link to the Media Center. That's the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on the podcast. There are links to The Intersection Podcast through that homepage. And you can find links to two blogs. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community, and the other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, there's a link to video content. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can visit the programming section at faithradio.org. Thanks for joining me for this edition of The Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.